Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because party of redemption, your table is now ready. You handed me three nails today. By doing so, you deemed me unforgiven. You implied I need go crucify myself. Yet you did not point me to the grace you claim to proclaim. Had I not known, deeply known, God's great love and grace and truth for myself, I might have followed your suggestion. And I must confess, sometimes I lose sight of redemption. If you had handed me three nails at just such a moment as that, I might choose to go out and prove myself worthy of the sentence you passed down. I may drive in these three nails, but not for the sin of which you condemn. I will choose my own sins until my guilt measures up to your sentence. God forbid I may even pass your judgment on to someone else and make it my own, and then be loathed to confess I handed someone three nails today. You handed me three nails today, or did I hand them unto you? Welcome to Redemption's Table. It's Holy Week, the week when Christians remember the last week of the life of Jesus Christ. It's a contemplative week, and therefore today's episode has a more somber vibe. I don't really know why, but about 20 years ago, this week that leads up to Good Friday and ultimately Resurrection Sunday started feeling heavy to me. The blues set in. And even though I know they will give way to the jazz of res morning, it just happens. The same way you feel when the calendar rolls around to remind you of a day when the worst thing that ever happened to you happened. Holy Week is like hiking through a slot canyon, following behind a dead man walking. And the dead man walking is headed towards an execution for a crime I'm guilty of. I am not as holy as you think I am. And any good you ever see in me is Jesus. Any righteousness you ever see in me belongs to him. I pray you never see the old Robert. He's still around because I still struggle with his old nature. You struggle with your old nature too. That's why those opening lines hit home. You're still handing out three nails. I'm still handing out three nails. Would it be surprising for me to tell you that most of the trio of nails I have received came from Christian people? My prayer today is we let all nails be surrendered to the one 
who has already willingly succumbed to their wounds. A few weeks ago, I was drawn towards a word that I've known and heard most all of my life. The word mercy, as in, Lord have mercy, or mercy me. Perhaps the most famous use of mercy can be found at the end of the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, we've all had difficult seasons, like the last 12 months, where we can quote that verse, but what we might catch ourselves saying out loud is, goodness and mercy need to stop following me and catch up now. God's mercy is always there, even if it seems like it's lurking in the shadows. There's another word we probably use more frequently than mercy, and that's the word grace. We've so interwoven mercy and grace, we use them synonymously and partly rightly so, but if we were to place those two words in a popularity contest, grace would be the, be the winner. If you attend worship with any regularity, you can probably recall more grace songs than mercy songs. The number one church hymn, Amazing Grace, was written in 1779 by a former slave trader, John Newton. He eventually surrendered his life to Jesus. He knew what he was. He knew how Jesus had changed his life, and his opening words to that hymn are autobiographical. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace is probably the more popular of the two words. Yet grace loses some of its dazzle without mercy. I mean, if this were which came first, chicken or the egg, mercy or grace, mercy would have to be the winner. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, the Apostle Paul writes under the leadership of God, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncleanness of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He took the penalty of the punishment away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That word disarmed also captured my attention as well. And having disarmed the powers and authorities. Where did he do this? At the cross, by the cross. I think I know when this disarmament took place. I think I know what it was that shook all the powers and authorities of this broken world to the core. Because it's still shaking us because it is so uncommon. Jesus is hanging on the cross on that Good Friday. The emotional weight of every sin is upon him. The vicious ugliness of every sin is upon him. The horror of six and a half million Holocaust victims. The horror of every soul lynched, shot, tortured because of the color of their skin or where they come from. The 62 million unwanted lives taken by abortion and then the guilt and the pain that followed. The adoration and worship of every God who is not God, the idolization of anything, money, sports, another person, which comes between us and God, every act committed in God's name, which does not reflect God's character and God's nature, every Lord's day neglected, every disrespect given to one's father or mother, every murder, every hatred towards another person, every sexual act outside of marriage, every lust in our minds, of a sexual act outside of marriage. Every robbery, every theft, 
every lie, every false testimony, every covetous thought of wanting what someone else possesses. All of that is on him as Jesus is on the cross. He is in excruciating pain because crucifixion was designed to torture the victim. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told his followers, all I have to do is speak the word and God the Father will at once put at my disposal 12 legions of angels. That's 81,912 angels for those of us who are counting. And they were on red alert even then back in the garden. So if the angels were ready to rumble back in the garden, how do you think they are feeling now as Jesus is there on the cross? The spiritual tension on the Mount of the Skull was thick. It was palpable. The angels, powers, and authorities have their hands on their swords. The demons, powers, and authorities already have their swords drawn in anticipation. It would seem this mount is on the verge of eruption until Jesus finally spoke out loud. And I believe the first words Jesus spoke from the cross were perhaps the most disarming words he ever said. Luke chapter 23 Verses 33 and 34, it says this. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the two criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is mercy. This is astounding. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Forgive these men skilled in the art of crucifixion. Forgive these men who have taught it and tortured me. Forgive these religious and political authorities. Forgive Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate. Forgive this fickle crowd that hosannaed me on Sunday, but who demanded my death today. Forgive these souls of whose sins I bear, every one of them, Forgive them, for they do not know that they are murdering your son by their sin. Mercy and grace. I'll give you a simple definition of those two words to clarify the difference. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. When you don't get what you deserve, that's mercy. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. When you get what you don't deserve, that's grace. Nobody in that Good Friday crowd deserved the mercy Jesus poured out upon them from the cross. And nobody speaking or listening to this podcast deserves it either. And a a verse of scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 astounds me. It says this, it says, God made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That's mercy. And that's good news. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say this, so that in him, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's grace. He paid a debt he did not owe. He was perfect, sinless. He who was sinless became sin, became all sin. And as he was doing so, he declared loud enough for everyone to hear, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. If a mere man had come up with this Jesus story, it would look like something that is already out here in the world, but it does not. If man had come up with this, it would make some sort of worldly sense, but it does not. This is disarming. This, I believe, is the defining moment. Jesus is saying, hey, when I am raised up, all will stand down. And when I stand down on the cross by extending forgiveness for all, all the powers and authorities who think they have the upper hand, they will fall down. Jesus reverse engineers everything else that takes place on the cross from this moment on. It's amazing how many people, how many believers get excited over Jesus flipping tables in the temple. And I can tell you why we do that, to justify our own anger. This moment right here is better than flipping temple tables. This moment turns the tables on everything else. This puts a different spin on everything else Jesus said while standing on nails. First thing he said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The second thing he said, the thief on the cross spoke to him and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, tells him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. You're the first one to enter paradise with me. You are the first among many, but you will not be the last. Then he looked at his mother, Mary. He said, dear woman, here is your son. Then he looks at John, his disciple, and he says, here is your mother. And this opened up the floodgates for another promise Jesus made in Mark chapter 10, 29 and 30, when he said, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come eternal life. So in that promise and in that moment, family just got expanded. The fourth thing Jesus said from the cross, he's quoting Psalm 22. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's what he said. So that you and I could say, my God. My God, why have you accepted me? <laughs> I wish I could say I thought of that because I love the truth of it. But that's not mine. That belongs to Andrew Peterson from his song, Mystery of Mercy. But that is the truth. Because of the cross, because we've been forgiven, because of mercy, because of grace, we are able to say, my God, my God, why have you accepted me? Next time you're going through a Psalm 22 moment, remember, when you feel like you've been forsaken of God, He's not abandoned you. He's accepted you. Wow. The fifth thing He said, I am thirsty. The one who is living water, who offers us water so satisfying we will never thirst again. The one who gives us water that will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life, put himself through a hell of torture so intense, he became parched. He asked for water. He turns the table on that. 
the sixth thing he said, to telestai. Translated, it is finished. It is finished. And the finality of that statement is so strong, it means this. It is finished. It stands finished. It will always be finished. What was finished for him opened up the beginning of a door marked forever for you and I, which will never be closed. But you have to surrender to him to step through that door. So he turned the table on that. And the final thing he said before he gave up his last breath, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he was the first fruits of his father out of this broken world and into the hands of he who will never fail you forever. He died on that Good Friday. And on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, he came back to life from the grave. Mercy and grace. Mercy. When you don't get what you deserve, that's mercy. When you get what you don't deserve, that's grace. Thicker than southern humidity is the grace of God. It's like receiving perpetual mouth-to-mouth from a honey-soaked sot, like breathing sorghum-laced air that expands the lungs in slow motion. It's like wearing hundreds of layers of cotton on the longest summer day, only it does not impede your mobility or weigh you down. It sweats out the impurities and frees your life. Surely, this mercy is what Jesus was referring to when he boasted his yoke was easy and his burden was light. The burden of grace releases the soul. One of my favorite quotes comes from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, preached in England over a hundred years ago. He says this about mercy. He says, mercy outruns malice. And I love what A.W. Tozer says, talking about being disarmed. He says, God has put a safety lock on his wrath, but a hair trigger on his mercy. He's just looking for a reason to show us his mercy. A moment ago, I quoted the song, Mystery of Mercy by Andrew Peterson. I'm going to read the words, the lyrics of this song as we close. I am the woman at the well. I am the harlot. I am the scattered seed that fell along the path. I am the son who ran away. I'm the bitter son who stayed. My God, my God, why hast thou accepted me? You took my sin and wrapped me in your robe and your ring. My God, my God, why hast thou accepted me? It's a mystery of mercy, and it's the song I sing. I am the angry man who came to stone the lover. I am the woman there ashamed before the crowd. I am the leper who gave thanks. I am the nine who never came. You are the bringer of the moon and all the seasons. You are the singer of the tune that calls the stars. My God, my God, why hast thou accepted me? You took my sin and wrapped me in your robe and your ring. My God, my God, why hast thou accepted me when all my love was vinegar to a thirsty king? My God, 
my God, why hast thou accepted me? It's a mystery of mercy in the song I sing. May you be able to sing this song from your heart as this week continues and on into the next. Until next time, party of redemption, your table is now available.